This morning, we are continuing our sermon series, The Gospel According to Jacob, and I wanted to invite up Ari uh, to read the passage for us. Genesis 33, 1 through 17. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, They are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and their children, and bowed down. Likewise, Leah and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and say, So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of my people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned on that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. Well, hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, You know, when you open up the scriptures, one of the first things you see is simply this, that you and I were created for relationships. Um, In the very opening pages, we see a good God create this world, and then day after day, he speaks, and a new thing appears, and a new thing's created, and each day he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then in Genesis 2, there's a scene where Adam is just there all by himself, and then it says this, and it was not good. And this is before sin even has entered the scene in the story of scriptures. And the reason why it's not good is because Adam's alone. That's one of the central truths of the scriptures that you and I were built, were created for relationships. And I'm sure each one of us, we could tell you about a friendship or a family member or a mother or a father, and we could say, we could talk about the blessing and the joy that is built on that relationship. And yet the other reality that we all know in this room is that relationships break down. They break down. So here's this tension. 
on the one hand, you and I were, were built for relationships. And yet we all know that some of the deepest pain that each of us know is that relationships break down. Let me put it this way. If, if you want to live in this world, practically speaking, in a world where relationships break down and in a world where you know you're made for them, then you ought to give yourself to know how do you work at mending them? How do you work at repairing them? How do you actually become an instrument for reconciliation in relationship? And, and this is what makes this particular account in this series so practical and yet so surprising. The, the backstory is, is this. 20 years earlier, Jacob had cheated and deceitfully stolen his brother Esau's firstborn birthright. That was like the thing in that day. To have that blessing of the firstborn gave you Authority, it gave you status, it gave you power. And Esau had it ripped out from under him by his brother Jacob. And he was so upset, he threatened to kill his brother Jacob. And then Jacob fled. And 20 years later, Jacob returns. He's been told by God to return to the land that God has promised him. But rather than go directly there, he goes south so he can meet up with his brother Esau and try to make things right. And just a chapter or two before this, we find out that Esau is coming to meet Jacob and he has 400 men, which is the size of a militia. And so Jacob is absolutely undone because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if Esau is coming And his bitterness and his anger and his resentment has been building for 20 years. And for all Jacob knows, his life is done with and all his family. Or if something else is going to take place, which is why in verse 4, it's one of those scenes. Because in verse 4, it says this, when, when Esau sees him, he says, He ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. It's an absolutely stunning, remarkable scene of reconciliation. And this scene, this chapter, it gives us a a realistic hope. It gives practical wisdom as we consider what it means to live in a world where we're made for relationships and yet relationships break down and actually how we can become people who are actually instruments that mend relationships It helps us to know how to pursue them. So three things this morning we're going to see. Firstly, we're going to see the character that's needed for reconciliation. Secondly, we're going to see the grace that prepares us for reconciliation. And then thirdly, we're going to see the call to reconciliation. So let me pray and we'll we'll get in. So Father, this morning what we do not know, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us? For the sake of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, firstly, the character. So as the passage opens, Jacob is staring down Esau, who's coming out with him with 400 men. And he puts his servants up in front, and then Leah and her children... 
And last of all, Rachel and Joseph. Yet in verse 3, it says this about Jacob. He went on before them. Jacob puts himself in front. He puts himself in front. He's going to be the one that's going to bear whatever Esau brings first. And Jacob is displaying one of the essential characteristics of what it takes to be reconciled. And that's simply this. It's courage. Let's be honest for a moment. When you're in a relationship that's broken down, it's much easier to not have courage, but to be full of fear. It's, it's much easier to protect yourself, to desire comfort, particularly when you, like you're in a situation like Jacob where he's the one that's the reason their relationship is broken down. In many regards, it can be far easier in a relationship that's broken down just to, to make oneself not vulnerable But Jacob, in this movement, he is leading with courage. He's displaying it. And this is where the process and hope for reconciliation, it must begin. It's this movement toward the other person. Let me ask you a question. What relationships or what relationship are you avoiding What relationship are you kind of withdrawing from? Maybe because it's just easier. Or maybe because it's comfortable. Jacob here offers an alternative move. It's an act of courage that moves toward the person. But the second characteristic we see, excuse me, as Jacob approaches Esau, as the passage says, he bows seven times before he gets to Esau. And this is significant because bowing was a sense of submission. It was saying to the other person, you're superior. You're above me. And notice this is the uniqueness of the situation because Jacob, he has the blessing. He's actually more superior than Esau. And yet Jacob is bowing. And here's what that's communicating to Esau. Jacob is saying this, I am truly sorry for what I have done. There is this humility that is marked by Jacob as he approaches One of the things that happens is earlier in chapter 32, Jacob had sent gifts of oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants to Esau. And after Jacob and Esau had embraced, they have this exchange. And and listen listen to what happens in verses 8 through 10. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, 
Then accept my present from my hand, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. And then here's the key verse. Look at verse 11. Jacob says this, please accept my blessing that is brought to you. Here's what's significant. When Jacob uses that word blessing for all the things that he sent ahead, it's the same word that is used at the blessing that Jacob stole back in chapter 25. And so here's what Jacob is saying. Jacob is saying this, by offering a blessing to Esau, one commentator notes this, it's exchanging the blessing he had taken from him. In other words, Jacob's coming with humility. He's saying, I'm sorry. And he's also coming with restitution, reparations, making amends for what he's taken. And it's really important about reconciliation. Um, the commentator, Ian Deguid, says this, biblical repentance means more than saying sorry. It involves a face-to-face confession and restitution where that is possible. Do you get that? This is, this is really important. In a situation where you have wronged someone, for there to be true repentance, it's not merely saying, I'm sorry. That is cheap repentance. It actually means you seek to make amends for whatever harm you've caused them to the degree that you can. You know, some of you might remember there's that one scene in the Gospel of Luke where um, Jesus meets Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. And there's this amazing encounter. And one of the sounding notes that Zacchaeus gets it, gets who Jesus is, and is going to follow him, is when he says, if I have defrauded anybody, I will pay them up to four times what I've defrauded them. In other words, you see true repentance. And one of the things that's interesting is that Esau, in this passage, receives what Jacob has given, which means he's saying we're good. One of the central keys towards reconciliation is being marked by humility and repentance. And, one of the, and that means one of the great obstacles is simply pride. You know, oftentimes in an argument or in a situation, we might say something like this. Well, I would have never done that if they would have done this, if they wouldn't have done this, right? It takes two. One of the most remarkable things Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3, is he says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And when Jesus says that, what he's saying is this, is we think we see so clearly what's wrong with others in a particular situation but, but, but notice Jesus says, here's the deal. Before you call them out, you take care of your log. And think about this for a moment. This happens all the time in, in marriage, at least in my marriage, right? There'll be a situation, there's some conflict, there's a disagreement, 
And oftentimes I might think it's 90% her fault, right? Now that usually is not correct, okay? But that's my perception. But when Jesus says, take the log out of your eye, it means this, the 10% that I think I am responsible for in this disagreement, I lead with that. Do you get it? There's humility. There's an understanding of, I am a contributor in this. And then there's this turning of it. There's this repentance, which means if I've done anything, I make, I, I communicate, I admit my sin. And then if it's possible, I make restitution. I make what right, what, whatever I've done. So Jacob, right away in this passage, shows us courage. He shows us humility and repentance that makes this reconciliation possible. And then lastly, he gives, he shows us wisdom. There's wisdom here. As the passage closes, there's this final section of Jacob and Esau in which Esau offers to go with Jacob. He says, let us journey our way and I will go ahead of you. And Jacob declines, for he says his family and servants, you know, we can't go at the same pace as you. Uh, Esau says, well, let me leave some of my people here. They can help you. And Jacob says, what need is there? And apparently, Esau wanted Jacob to join him in Sair. And both times, Jacob declines. Now, there's a little bit of debate here among commentators, because at one point, at the end of this section, he actually says, Jacob says, until I come to my Lord in Sair, in which Jacob says he's going to go. And some people think he's being deceitful, he's just being his old Jacob self. Other people think it's just a polite, like, you know, cultural thing, just being kind. But either way, for Jacob, here's the situation. God has told him to go back to the land he's been promised. He can't go to Sair. And that means even though they're reconciled, it means their relationship is not, doesn't mean they're going to be chums. doesn't mean they're going to hang out every weekend. It's different. And that means as we pursue reconciliation, as we seek to make amends, it means sometimes that's true for us as well. Sometimes there needs to be limits. Um, one of my good friends, Pastor Brian Gregory, he shared some really helpful examples of this. He mentioned this. He says, sometimes there are limits to being reconciled because the other person has become so hardened. And you can forgive. You can desire a relationship. But you can't change their heart. You know, other times, you know, limits are imposed by circumstances. You know, maybe they've died. There's no chance of reconciliation there. <clears throat> and other times, there are limits there because of what's happened and what's actually caused the breach in the relationship. So, for example, typically true in cases of abuse. Even if there's forgiveness... Wisdom means putting limits on that relationship moving forward. And other times, those that are in disagreement, 
they might not actually agree what the issue is. There might be two different narratives in this situation. And though they might forgive one another, because they see things completely differently, it means how they move forward is not going to be the same as what it was before. So you see how this relationship, this, this passage is so helpful because it, it communicates to us what it takes to repair and restore relationships. Because Jacob displays courage, repentance, humility, and wisdom. And listen, in this scenario, by God's miraculous grace, reconciliation takes place. It's remarkable. But there's another thing that we need here, and that's the grace that prepares one for this. Another way of putting this is, where did Jacob get this courage? (laughs) Where did Jacob get this humility, this soft heart that could admit his sin, make restitution? Where did he get this wisdom? I mean, think about it for a moment. The Jacob of 20 years earlier is a completely different man than the Jacob that showed up and met Esau and his 400 men on this day. What is it that changed him? And and the clue to this, we actually see in this section, in, in the second part of verse 10, as Jacob, he says to Esau this, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. And when Jacob seeing Esau's face, one that he's been in embrace with, one that's been marked by reconciliation and relationship, it mirrors the evening before. Last week we were there. In 32, verse 30, after wrestling with God, Jacob says this, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. You know, last week we saw in this, in this passage, God is wrestling with Jacob. And at one point, Jacob says to God, bless me, bless me. And God says, say your name. And it's not because he didn't know Jacob's name. It's because this, for Jacob to receive the blessing, he's got to own who he is. You see, his name is linked with deception. He has to say exactly who he is to get the blessing. And he says his name, and then God gives him a new name. Israel. Which means he has striven with God and with men and has prevailed. And see, that's the key. Because how has he prevailed? It has not been through his shrewdness as before. It has not been through his strength as before. It has been through weakness and humility. And Jacob gets the blessing. In other words, Jacob has an encounter with God and he experiences his grace and his kindness. And that's what changes him. That's what makes him a person of courage and humility and repentance. And friends, the same thing is true and is available for you and I. Because years later, in the fullness of time, God came in the person of Jesus, full of grace 
and truth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead and give those who come to him, who say their name, who own who they are and restore them in a relationship with God. And this, see, when, when, when that happens in your life, when you do that, that changes how you relate to others. Let me give you an example. So think about it this way. <clears throat> this good news about what Jesus has done, it actually produces courage. You see, if it's true, if it's true that I am so sinful that Jesus is willing to die for me, that actually gives me a lot of confidence. It gives me poise and it gives me strength. Because in a relationship where I might be fearful about what that other person is going to do or how they're going to respond, I know for certain this, God will not reject me. He has not rejected me. Psalm 2710 says this, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. That gives courage. But secondly, the gospel produces humility. You see, if it's true that I'm so sinful that Jesus had to die for me, then that produces an honest evaluation of who I am. Then that should not make me surprised at all in a situation that I might have sinned. And friends, that's what the gospel does. You see, in the gospel, God knows you all the way down and all the darkness. And let he has loved you all the way to the moon in his son. And that enables you to become a person who has a depth of character. That when relationships break down, it can give you courage and humility and wisdom. And let me tell you what, you will need it. Because when relationships break down, you know it is quite costly to pursue them. And there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that, that verse 4 is going to happen in that relationship. There's no promises of that. But this ought to give us hope because, listen, look at what God has done between Jacob and Esau. He has worked a miracle. It's amazing. All right, lastly, the call. In his book, We Belong to the Lord, there's a Palestinian priest named Elijah Shakur. He tells a story about something that happened in his congregation in Israel in the 1960s. And from the history of the conflict, as we all know too well even today, the village then had become bitterly divided. And it even had gone into the churches and Shakur was not there long, about a year, when he began preaching the importance of healing these divisions. And week after week, he would preach, and there would be little to no difference, no real movement. And so on Palm Sunday of that year, he decided to do something a little different. As he celebrated the Lord's Supper, he was distraught because he could look out at the congregation, and he could see that so many people in the congregation were at odds with one another. 
So at the conclusion of the service, he made a bold decision. Before anybody could move, he made a beeline up the center aisle to the back of the church. And he closed the doors and he locked everybody in. And he took the key and he marched right back down the center aisle and he told the people he loved them, but he was sad to see them so filled with hate and bitterness toward one another. And then he said this, this morning while I celebrated the liturgy, I found someone who is able to help you. In fact, he is the only one who can work the miracle of reconciliation in this village. The person who can reconcile you is Jesus Christ. And he is here with us this morning. And so on, on Christ's behalf, I say to you, the doors of the church are locked. Either you kill each other right here in your hatred, and then I will celebrate all of your funerals gratis, or you use this opportunity to be reconciled together before I open the doors of the church again. The decision is now yours. And 10 minutes passed, and no one said a word. Just silence. <clears throat> and then finally a man stood up. <clears throat> he stretched his arms, and he said this, I ask forgiveness of everybody here, and I forgive everybody. And I ask God to forgive me of my sins. And then he came forward, and he hugged Shakur with tears in his eyes. And then in his book, Shakur describes how this was like a ripple effect to the congregation. People who had hated each other and some who had not spoken in years began to embrace one another, extending Christ's love for one another and being reconciled with one another. And the place began to fill up with tears and laughter. My close friend Brian Gregory, after sharing this account with his congregation, said this, and I'll say it to you. Christ is here with us this morning. The doors of the church are locked. The decision is now yours. Let's pray. Father, grant us this morning what we need to be instruments of reconciliation in this world. In the midst of our fear, would you give us courage? In the midst of pride, would you give us humility? In the midst of our sin, would you give us repentance? And would you give us wisdom? And in your kindness, would you work in us and through us? Would you mend our broken relationships? Would you heal our divisions so that we may be a community where Christ is made much of? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.